Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. No rookie running back. Zero finished inside the top 15 in scoring last season the first time in a decade in fact just kenneth walker and tyler algier they're the only rookie running backs last year to eclipse 1,000 rushing yards so it has to improve in year two right hayden i mean that's what today's show is all about second year running backs we'll show you the tape we'll talk through their projections their situations their talent and where you should be drafting them you watched i don't know a dozen of these now second year running backs give us a big takeaway a big picture takeaway of what you think of the group um i think it's pretty mid group in general i have a big three that we'll get to and then i think there's uh, a fourth player tyler algier that's kind of in the middle and then it's a rest of skill sets that i think are fairly replaceable what makes ranking these running backs hard and i did do this on underdog network is how do you compare a pass catcher with an early down grinder if both of them are mid so that's kind of what we're going to walk through today but big takeaway for me is size matters like to me that's a skill set like the ability just to handle a workload goes overlooked in projecting players that had pretty efficient seasons on small samples versus somebody that was just out there and able to handle 15 20 touches per week to me that's an actual skill and we were talking before we hit record that while we'll like some of these talents much better than others, those quote-unquote others are in line for a much bigger workload. So at the end of the day, I can't wait to talk through the individual talents and the skill set that these guys have, but this position is very much reliant on opportunity, especially in the passing game, especially scoring touchdowns. And we'll try to combine all those factors here. And again, since it is kind of, in Hayden's words, a mid running back group or a lackluster, you know, first year and now into their second season, I think this is like a really important conversation to, to go in between them. Okay. This is going to be an ADP order over on underdog fantasy, how you all are drafting them right now. And we start with Brees Hall of the New York Jets being drafted as running back 11, 30th overall in the third round. Talk to me. Big physical player that has home run ability and all of his efficiency stats last year were killer because of a couple of big plays. And I wanted to highlight a couple of them. There was a 79 yard receiving touchdown where he ran a little bit of a wheel route. You don't see players of his size running those type of routes. Brees Hall on occasion can run some of these fancy boy routes. And then what the Jets did in particular really caught my eyes. They would use these two running back sets where Brees Hall would not even be the running back. He would be the guy in motion. And he was electric on those uh, 18 attempts with two running backs on the field. He averaged 8.8 yards per carry on the one running back sets, more of the traditional looks that dropped down to 4.9%. When I was going through Brees Hall's college profile, this is kind of what I was expecting. But in college, he kind of jumped around the formation, a little bit too jumpy for me, not consistent between the tackles rusher. I thought he was better than expected on his traditional carries up the middle. But this is somebody that we should expect to be a top five fantasy running back once he gets his feet back underneath him. I saw exactly the same thing that you did where his acceleration to pull away from linebackers, either up the middle or defenders on the edge once turning the corner, like that was electric stuff. Yep. And 
the big gains seem to come on. Here's your wheel route on pony personnel stuff. Look, I know Jets fans really hated Mike LaForge's in the year. One, it's kind of tough to call an offense when uh, your hand is tied behind your back at the quarterback position. Let's and, who, and who's the offense coordinator this year again? <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett. But for a reason, for a reason. Um, but Mike LaFour was one of like, I don't know, three coordinators across the league that was able to use pony personnel to his advantage. You know, so many teams talk about it in the offseason and in training camp. And as you said, Brees Hall was a huge beneficiary of that. And it's so clear that he is at his best once you create an alley like this, once yep. you create an outside lane, because that long speed to turn, you know, maybe a 12 yard gain into a 40 yard gain. He is one of the few, not few running backs that can do it across the league, but it's proven that he can do it across the league. Um, talk about his injury, because that, I think, is a huge factor in his quote-unquote price tag right now. Again, running back 11, 30th overall, just after Mondre Stevenson and ahead of the group of Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Jameer Gibbs. So it luckily happened kind of in the middle to early part of the year, and it was more or less a straight line kind of ACL tear, not like the J.K. Dobbins or Javante Williams type of ACL tears. So he's apparently relatively on track to play. I'm expecting him to be ready for week one. It might take him a month or two to really get going. But I think by the end of the season, I can see Brees Hall being a really big difference maker. Obviously, Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers is really good for fantasy running backs. And a lot of the bigger conversation with these rookies is there's kind of been like a passing of the torch with the older running backs by the end of the season. Some of those guys might even fall down even further, like Derrick Henry types of players and Brees Hall can really start taking. So we have to find the guys who are going to actually be taking that baton because right now there's not that much talent. And I can tell you for a fact that Brees Hall definitely has it. I love starting best ball drafts on underdog fantasy with like the Justin Jefferson or Cooper cup or someone, a wide receiver yep. at the start and then doubling up with your like Ramondre Stevenson and Brees Hall. Unfair. Like it truly feel great about real workhorse running backs with mm -hmm. explosive abilities to their game to create big gains. But also what stood out to me when going back and digging through the data on Brees Hall was the factor that he was going to be inside the 10 yard line and inside the five yard line as well. Hayden, I mean, he nine of his 80 carries were inside the 10 yard line last year. And that nine equaled 30% of the team's total attempts inside the 10 and what? He had 463 rushing yards and only seven games played prior to a season ending injury. Like I, I know I opened with that statement of, Hey, no rookie running back finished inside the top 15 for the first time in a decade. Brees Hall easily, easily would have done it last year. Yeah. I have a, a column and then inside that column, there's a stat inside the 10 carries per game. And he led the entire class with, with 1.3 of them. And that's why it goes back to size matters. He's going to be able to hold up in pass protection and be the goal and back end. Unlike some of the other big backs, he actually has a pretty good route running ability. Yeah. And I think that route running ability really coincides with what Aaron Rodgers has done well in Green Bay. I don't expect them to use exactly the same stuff with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. However, we have seen them use pony personnel in a real positive way with the jet sweeps and the action across the formation. Might get some more of that. Um, but we just, instead of just, you know, flare routes out of the backfield, we actually saw Brees Hall kind of working towards voids further down the field and catching on the run and feeling very comfortable, looking very comfortable as a receiver. So a quarterback that has used that in his past, I think can unlock that a little bit. 16 force missed tackles on just 80 carries last year, 15 carries of 10 plus yards on just 80 carries last year. And quickly, his injury is much different than the one for, let's say, Javante Williams, who Javante is coming off a multi-ligament. This was a quote unquote clean ACL tear for 
Brees Hall, and everything seems on track for him to be out there in week one. Yeah, I love him in round three. If if he gets positive uh, reports in August, I can see him being a second-round pick. So I, I'm drafting him right now. Kenneth Walker is up next, being drafted as the 15th running back by all of you, 50th overall over an underdog fantasy. Super complicated profile. I can see why people don't think he's very good because his success rate's bad. Um, he's not going to be running a lot of those fancy routes. He didn't grade very well in pass protection. But at the same time, his PFF rushing grade was in the top 10. He had the fourth highest boom rate, according to Sports uh, Sports Info Solutions, because he can do stuff like this. His explosiveness is ludicrous. His <laughs> backside vision is fantastic. He has cutting ability. So I think that he suffered behind, I think, somewhat an overrated Seahawks offensive line. They hit on some like late round picks that were starters, but... They were still late round picks for a reason. There was a lot of times on the interior of the Seahawks offensive line where he would get really blown up. So yes, he does dance around a little bit, but I thought a lot of the, the problems actually were from the interior offensive line. And I'm not surprised that Zach Charbonnet, who's basically the exact opposite, less creative, can kind of win out in pass protection and out in the route a little bit. I still think that Kenneth Walker for an early down rusher is one of the most explosive young players in the game. And I think that he's actually still pretty good. His acceleration to pick up yards is truly amazing. And that leads to these big, big plays that you're looking at. I mean, he wants to hit these big plays. Like this is every time he touches the football, he wants to take it to the house and his lateral cuts to make defenders miss or, you know, uh, shift lanes at the line of scrimmage, I, I think is, is freaking amazing. And this conversation that's happening right now in the offseason happened during the draft season after the Seahawks drafted Zach Charbonnet is well, Kenneth Walker was extremely inefficient last year. That means he's bad and he's been replaced. I, I disagree with that. Like, if the spreadsheets say that Kenneth Walker is bad at football, then the spreadsheets don't deserve Kenneth Walker and watching him play. You know, like I am with you in that when watching this, there were a lot of negative carries where he just had nowhere to go. There was an offensive lineman and mostly in the interior. Those two tackles are good on the interior, like four guys in his face or four yards in the backfield, let's say, and then boom, you're getting tackled for a loss. But man, he was had the 13th most carries last year. He forced the 12th most missed tackles. And he also had the 12th most 10 plus yard carries. Like how can this equal a bad player? It can't. I mean, we need to watch rewatch this last play. This is ludicrous stuff. His his side to side mobility is just really ridiculous. I mean, look at that. That is absurd. You don't see running backs that actually have that type of skill set. So uh, to me, like the one thing that I, I am going to go back and forth with is Charbonnet was very consistent and kind of a high success rate type of guy. Who's going to be the goal line back? Because Charbonnet is definitely a little bit bigger. I think it will end up being Ken Walker. But there's that's kind of the thing where I'm uh, at, at least for fantasy circles, the one thing I am caught between. But I think that the success rate was largely because of the offensive line yeah. and his jump cut ability. Yes, of course, he's going to have a couple bad plays. But to me, he more than makes up for it with the explosiveness. Yes. And that's why his EPA and stuff was still decently good, even though his success rate is only at 35 percent. So I dug into the touchdown opportunities for Kenneth Walker last year, and I was actually stunned. I mean, he was second in the NFL with 76% of his team's carries inside the 10-yard line last year. You know, he was also the only player in the league to handle every single one of his team's carries inside of the five-yard line. Wow. Now, the funny part of this is he got nine carries inside the five-yard line, and that only equaled one touchdown. Right. <laughs> so I, I, mean, I watched some of those. They were right. bad blocks. Yes, and, and he was hyper, quote-unquote, inefficient on those. Mm -hmm. So even if he loses 
the, let's say inside the five yard line opportunity, it's not like it's taking that much away from the production right. profile that we saw last year, you know, mm-hmm. and it's pretty clear that they trusted him in that role last year. And so Zach Charbonnet, who the other side of this coin is you and I both loved him as a prospect and right. I can't wait to watch them in tandem. It's frustrating mm-hmm. to draft them, but if Charbonnet, who is very good in that area does take that away. I still think Kenneth Walker can score some damn points for us just because yeah. of the home run hitter that he is. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's not going away. They're going to design touches up for him. Uh, I think part of the Charbonnet selection was because the Seahawks were looking for kind of a compliment behind Walker after they lost Rashad Penny, and they were just trotting out basically nobodies, and they weren't doing all that much either. So this is going to kind of sure that thing up. And like we said right after the draft, the Seahawks are going to stay with their board no matter what, and they're probably not accounting for positional value like other teams. So that was we just kind of got caught. But to me, Kenneth Walker, like the, the spreadsheet, stuff with him it's 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 i think underselling how bad the offensive line was and uh certainly i think ken walker can play on tape yeah again the second touch of the season his offensive line is four yards deep so it's a tackle for loss and there were other times where he did make the first person miss and still that gained negative one yards instead of a four-yard loss like there were some hidden yards in there as well not to say he's perfect with his vision he still you know does make some moves behind the line that you scratch your head on at times but like you said it's counteracted by just the massive gains and the game-breaking moments that he mm-hmm. brings to the table that so many others can't. Question about where he's being drafted right now over on Underdog, okay? I am taking a bunch of wide receivers in this territory in like the Keenan Allens, the Drake Londons, the Terry McLaurins, Michael Pittman even. So I'm not really getting a lot of Kenneth Walker at this moment who is almost hand-in-hand with Aaron Jones with 50th and 54th overall. Is it a fair spot for him to be going right now? He's getting into the fifth round, and that's where I'm going to start having some interest. I wasn't drafting him because I knew his ADP was going to continue to fall. It takes longer for players to fall in ADP than rise. So I, and I will be drafting some Kenneth Walker and watching the tape made me definitely confirm that real quick. He's not a pass catching back. He's never been too comfortable back there. He hasn't gotten looks. He only dropped 3% of his targets and he got more targets. than I think people were giving him credit for, will he be a, a guy that's running fancy routes and all that stuff? Probably not. He's definitely not going to get those opportunities with Zach Charbonnet there, but I do think that he can still handle 20 plus touches in a game. And I do think that even in a two minute drop, they had to, I think that he could go out there and he's athletic enough to catch the ball. That's all right. Saying. Again, by the spreadsheets, it was being projected that he didn't have hands. <laughs> Literally, like walking around like this, yeah. And guess what? When he's being utilized in the passing game, he did a fine job. He did an adequate job. It's not a giveaway when he's out there in terms of it just being a run, you know? And while Zach Charbonnet probably thrives in that area, and Zach Charbonnet might thrive in short yardage situations as well, this is not taking away like the big moments that Mm -hmm. Kenneth Walker brings to the table. Okay. And speaking of, we talked about Drake London. We have a whole second year wide receiver show where we do this exact same thing. So go and watch that. The link's in the description down below. Next up, one of my favorite draft picks right now on Underdog, Damian Pierce, running back 20, 63 overall. Man, he's, I think he's just got it. I don't know what it is, but I think that he has it. I wrote that he has, he's the one of the most underrated running backs in the league. He's a thick dude, fights really hard, and that's why he forced so many missed tackles 0.28 per carry, which was the best in the class of the guys that actually got a bunch of touches. He averaged the most touches per game all the way, almost at 20 per game. His physicality keeps him on the field inside the 10 yard line. He also was out there in pass protection a bunch. He has side adjusted wiggle. And that's why I thought 
that he was pretty effective behind, I think, a mid-offensive line last year, but one that I think that could get much better. And I think the opportunities and the value of those opportunities are going to go up with C.J. Stroud also in the mix. So you don't see guys running this fast at that size, and I would not be surprised if Damian Pierce um, was one of the big hits in like round five, round six. He's one of my favorite players in the league. And yeah. this is the perfect example where he was good last year. The Texans, as we all know, were total garbage. And because of that, we don't really see him or view him as a big win during his rookie season. When in reality, when you watch this and almost dig beneath the surface on the opportunities that they did give him, then to me, that only Ooh. leads to more optimism when like the tide rises, Damian Pierce's ceiling and his floor is so much better than what we got last year. It stood out to me that he had 138 touches on first down, 87 touches on second down, and just 25 touches on third and fourth down. You remember that, like, what, first game of the season when they went into, hey, pure catch-up mode? It was, hey, Rex Burkhead, you get all these opportunities. I think he started earning and, and getting those a little bit more as the season went on. But again, this game is so much about, hey, who's out there scoring touchdowns? He handled 54% of his team's carries inside the five-yard line. That's the same number as Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, and Ramondre Stevenson of their team's market shares. And that equaled just seven opportunities, okay? 50% of inside the 10, 54% of inside the 20. So if this team just gets better in terms of being in those scoring uh, marks and opportunities more often, then Damian Pierce is going to have an electric season because, man, he's the hammer. He's an electric runner. Yeah, he forced the most missed tackles per catch of this draft class. He had actually the most pass protection snaps per game in this wow. draft class. And I think it's because, like we said, size just matters. He's out there. He can protect the quarterback. So this, to me, like, I'm not sure if C.J. Stroud is going to be a fantasy quarterback, uh, number one quarterback this year. But I want to bet on C.J. Stroud being pretty good and this offensive line being pretty good. And I kind of like this coaching staff. And I think the best way to actually go do that is just draft Damian Pierce. If yes. CJ Stroud's in the offensive line is better than expected, Damian Pierce is going to be the one that's going to be soaking up all that value. I like Devin Singletary as a role player. I think Devin Singletary is a, a worse version of Damian Pierce without the explosiveness, kind of the same, uh, same size and like wiggle ability. But uh, Damian Pierce, I think, has a little more explosiveness. Um, even though his 40 time is pretty mid, to me, he plays bigger and faster than that time. Yeah, I mean, he is ferocious going into traffic. And when he needs that straight line juice because the edge is getting crashed down, he has that too, you know? like, And he's going in this area of the draft where I'm totally comfortable taking him because he's right after like Miles Sanders and Joe Mixon, who I'm very willing to draft, you know? He's going in this intriguing area of wide receivers that we've talked about with rookies like Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison, veterans like Tyler Lockett and Mike Evans. Brandon Ayuk is in there too. But if I want to get my second running back or heck, even first running back at this spot based on the build, Damian Pierce, I simply don't see someone else on the roster taking away what he is going to get immediately because of his talent and because of yep. what he's earned on this team last year. I mean, he earned the starting running back gig immediately, immediately. through training yeah. camp. His teammates loved him. Lovey yeah. Smith loved him. And I highly doubt that has changed. And I'm with you. I'm even drafting Devin Singletary where he's going. Mm -hmm. Because in ways he brings certain skills or experience to the table that is almost like a souped up version of Rex Burkhead. Yep, 100% agree. He was a top 50 overall player last year. 
and he's going after that. And we think that the Texans are going to be better than the market does. Yeah. On the 15th most carries last year, the fifth most forced missed tackles and the 16th most 10 plus yard carries on like the worst Davis team Mills. The on the worst team in the league last year. Come on. Just imagine if they're league average. If they're league average, Damian Pierce the moon. Next up, a very different situation. Isaiah Pacheco, running back 23, 75th overall. Simply put, the Chiefs offensive line is very good, which gives him a really great environment that he's allowed to run in. And he runs in like a very animated running style. Mm -hmm. Um, Takes a beeline to the hole that he thinks is right. I don't want the people to come at me, but if we're talking about talent, I kind of think Pacheco is mid at best. Yeah. I think that he looks like a seventh round pick to be honest. Uh, And it goes back to the discussion of how much does running back talent truly matter? And I think it matters to some degree, uh, but in this offense, it doesn't take a whole lot. He's got a lot of space to work with because offensive line's good. They're using so much misdirection. These linebackers facing Mahomes have got to be an absolute hell. And Andy Reid as well. From week 10 through the Super Bowl, he averaged 77 rushing guards per game. That That's why his ADP is running back 23. I'm not even sure if I'm ready to completely fade him, but I'm with you. I thought that his tape was highly inconsistent. I can see why people would fall in love with him because he's very flashy. He's a ball of energy. He's a great athlete. He can definitely pop up. Uh, you can get a highlight tape of Isaiah Pacheco going. But to me, I don't think that his vision was there. I don't think his timing was there. His pacing wasn't there. And he actually didn't even break that many tackles or uh, have that many yards after the catch. Yeah, in fact, he only had 0.12 missed tackles per carry, which was one of the very worst in this entire class. He d- he seems like he would have a lot of wiggle, but he actually doesn't. And I think it's just because of how flashy and how hard he runs. And I appreciate that. Um, but I think if I was doing a bold prediction... I can see Clyde Edwards Hilaire making himself oh, no. back into this, this mix again. a little bit. They're completely opposite players. Like they Clyde Edwards really doesn't have any of the explosiveness that Pacheco has, but he's way more consistent. His vision is better. Pacheco just runs harder because he's a better athlete. Um, but I'm with you. I think that Pacheco is extremely replaceable. Uh, and that makes him a pretty risky uh pick in like the sixth, seventh round. And he happens to already be 24 years old. Yeah, a replaceable talent is easy to say, but if they don't replace him then he's in like a really good situation, you know? Um, He did grow into a situation too, you know? I think in, yeah, only four carries inside the 10-yard line through week nine, and then it was 16 the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. In just the regular season, I'm talking about here. Now, that is aided by a week 11 game against the Los Angeles Rams when he had seven carries inside of the 10-yard line. But it speaks to, in that second half of the season, they were much willing, more willing to give him, you know, let's say the touchdown opportunities to score. We also add that the Chiefs, almost as much as the Rams, them to at the highest, inside the 10-yard line, they're throwing the football. And they are going to get creative and scheme things open like we've seen with Miko Hardman and Kadarius Tony with multiple tight end sets. So it's not as, I think, copy-paste from a market share perspective that we'll talk about with, like, with Jamal Williams, per se. Last year or Dave Montgomery this year Mm -hmm. that like, oh, this means he's going to get X amount of touchdowns. It's just different for the Chiefs and their backs in the red zone. Yeah, I don't expect that to change. They still have so many gadget type of players on there. The other thing, Nick Urquilado posted this. He had none of his catches that came on third downs or inside the 10 yard line all season that and it's because they don't really trust him on the pure passing situations. He only had one point three pass box per game, only one catch per game. So I think that Jarek McKinnon or CH is going to kind of have that role. I'm not sure if they're going to really trust him at the end of the day, the, the chiefs drafted him in the seventh round. Like that's 
kind of where we should be going here. Uh, he had a good season. He can work behind this offensive line because he runs hard, but I don't think I'm going to get too carried away with him. Just two games over 50% of the snaps. And I think that kind of speaks to like how they utilize our tight ends and wide receivers too, where they just rotate. Like mm-hmm. it's for certain roles. It's for certain situations. It's for certain plays, right? Um, okay. Then let me ask you being drafted as running back 23. That's after Dalvin cook and Deandre Swift in this like group of wide receivers, which I actually find somewhat intriguing in Deontay Johnson, Traylon Burks. We talked about in second year wide receivers, John Dotson, who is remaining one of my favorite picks right now in best ball. I don't know if I have more than one draft where I've exited with Isaiah Pacheco at this moment, just because of that wide receiver territory. I've yeah. drafted zero Isaiah Pacheco through 23 teams. Okay. There it is. Next up is a player who I have zero of Rashad white running back 25 80th overall. Uh, I'm going to say some stats and then let you talk. Yeah. He had the 36 most carries in the NFL last year. And that equaled the 50th most 10 plus yard carries. That's the same as justice Hill. Okay. And then he had just four carries that went for 15 plus yards and then was 47th enforced missed tackles. So give us a reason why he's going as running back 25 right now. Well, that would be opportunity, which I, I would say does matter. But I do think, unfortunately, that Rashad White is the definition of replaceable. And I think that he needs uh, a physical complement to his running style. I think Rashad White has some skills. I think he's pretty reliable as a pass catcher. I think that he has good vision. To me, what's so frustrating about Rashad White is he plays so damn slow. Like there's to me, he's like basically not a running back in the league that plays slower than their like timed athleticism than Rashad White. I don't know if it was rookiness. I don't know if he was nervous around Tom Brady, but he literally like physics matter. I think at running back, he does not run fast enough at his size to break tackles. Like mm-hmm. he he just mo- moves so damn slow. I mean like hesitantly or like it's, it's almost both. flowy. It's no, yes. it's yeah, yeah. Someone like he needs to pretend like there's a pit bull running behind him or something. Like there's because I think that he has vision and he has reliable hands. And I thought he was a very good fit with Tom Brady because out out in the flats you can throw the ball to him and Tom Brady loves to check down. Now is Baker Mayfield going to do that t- same type of thing? I'm not sure. And because of his lack of physicality or whatever we want to call this word with Rashad White, I think the Bucks need to bring in somebody that can really hammer this thing through. And I don't know if that's going to be Zeke Elliott or they bring back Leonard Fournette, but to me, Rashad White doesn't have the physicality to be a lead back. I mean, he's a committee member. And when I did my actual rankings of this draft class, he was my running back nine. And I was higher than that uh, with my pre-draft uh, profile on him. He just didn't run hard enough for me. And we have to talk about the Bucks offensive line. Like Bad. Justin Worth now will move over to left tackle. Last year, it was not good. You know, mm-hmm. Ryan Jensen missed the vast majority of the season. Luke Decky obviously was... Uh, starting as as a rookie. Now they brought in Cody Mock, who's a second-round pick, Matt Filer coming over from the Chargers. So it's almost shifting a whole bunch of pieces around with a new play caller as well. I do really like Rashad White's comfort as a receiver. Yes. Like they would line him up, split him out wide, motion him in, get him on screens. He would run a lot of like James White-esque routes, I think, for Tom Brady. But now we also go from whatever we got from Tom Brady last year, which was quality in many cases to freaking Baker Mayfield and Cal Trask. Now, yeah. like the drop off, I think in the top of this offense is going to fall totally 100%. fall. And 
my big concern with Rashad White, other than what we just talked about, is that he's also going ahead of someone like Dave Montgomery, who is like for certain going to score more touchdowns, like way more touchdowns. And touchdowns are so meaningful when we talk about winning in best ball and in fantasy football. And I am just shocked by it. I think it's almost that elegance that you talk about the flair of the catching passes. And that's why he's being thrusted up these these boards. Yeah. And the name that immediately came up to me was TJ Yeldon, who was drafted highly, who played for quite a bit of time as a lead back. But he was almost, like you said, flowy in his running style and yeah. never had like that one exceptional trait. I think the other big reason is just his competition for touches right now. Like Chase Edmonds, who I think is basically washed out of this league. Keyshawn Vaughn transferred from what was that? Uh, Illinois to Vanderbilt, usually not a, a big line for fantasy success. And like Patrick Laird, Sean Tucker, who's an undrafted guy uh, who has uh, medical concerns. So the Bucks are like, I don't, I don't know what they are, but I don't think Rashad White, like I don't think we should extrapolate Rashad White's receiving ability into a feature back role. I just don't think that's right. where he's destined to go. I mean, he is going ahead of James Conner. Uh, James Conner last year, the Cardinals were shit. They were the third overall pick, and he still finished as the running back 10 in points yeah. per game, and he's being drafted as the running back 27. Make that make sense. And James Conner was going off without Kyler Murray last yes. year, late in the year. Yeah. Guess what? If you are out there for every single one of the pass-catching opportunities, and then you also get all of the touchdown scoring opportunities inside the 5 and inside the 10-yard line, you're going to probably score fantasy points. Now, some might say, which one are you talking about, James Conner or Rashad White? But we've seen that with James Conner, who is, I think, a better player yes. than what we get with, Agree. with Rashad White. Um, yeah, I mean, just so frequently, there was like one man to miss to create a big gain or a defensive back to like leave in the dust for a big run. And he just went down, yeah, I know. but what he is fluid. Doing? Like he is fluid and comfortable either once catching the pass or in space as a receiver. So like he can stick in the league with that, but that to me does not equal going ahead of some of the touchdown scores that we just talked about. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a passing down back in two years from now. James cook up next. Speaking of pass catching backs, yes. <laughs> running back 30 95th overall. Give it to me. There's only one game where he played more than 44% of the Bills snaps. And I think that is a partially a skill. And I think it's what's going to prevent him from having too much of a ceiling. He wasn't uh, trusted in pass protection, only had one rep in pass pro per game. They would manufacture some uh, touches to him on occasion. Um, and I think that he is a decent runner out in space, can catch the ball pretty fluidly. Uh, had a one fumble early on, but that kind of went away. When I'm watching James Cook, his like numbers like on like breakaway rate and stuff. He had some explosive runs because this offense is wide open. You have plays like that where Josh Allen puts it on a platter for you. Did you see like game breaking ability for somebody that has like his outlier size? Because to me, like the size is always going to keep him. Like if you're going to be Jamal uh, Charles, if you're going to be Dalvin Cook, who's uh, definitely bigger than James Cook, those guys to me just had a little bit more burst wiggle yeah. i don't know what it is with james cook i was not that impressed he's better than rashad white as a talent in my opinion but i don't think that he's just gonna go trot out there and be like some guy that's gonna be averaging five and a half yards per carry it's gonna be a, a guy that the bills have to get touches to this is super easy to say but he has that same curvy running style that his brother does mm -hmm. in dalvin um so like when he gets that edge or that seam those long strides do pick up chunk gains and it can be, I think really difficult for defensive backs, almost like gauge where the angle is going to be on him. And I wouldn't call him a weak runner per se. Like he sometimes drags or stays up with that final tackler on his back, but I'm kind of with you. We're like, Hey, 
what is the one calling card that we can say the Bills are going to rely on this back, which they really haven't done other than Devlin Singletary for like a 60 plus percent workload? Um, is it catching passes? Great. Okay. Josh Allen has gotten better and improved his in phase checkdowns to get to his third and allowing his guys to catch balls. But at the same time, they were also in on Chris McCaffrey last year. That didn't work out. And they also made the move for Naeem Hines, who somehow is like still on the roster. And so, again, I understand if we all get infatuated with young guys who catch passes and look good out in space. But maybe my simple minded brain, Hayden, always comes back to what they do to score touchdowns. And one, Josh Allen has historically been one of the best short yardage backs in the league. And two, if we can follow the money and follow decisions, this Bills team wanted to find someone other than James Cook to be the short yardage touchdown scorer. And that is Damian Harris. I mean, even last year, like Devin Singletary handled 43% of the Bills carries inside the 10 yard line. He led the team in that. Davin Cook had zero carries inside the five yard line last year. A big whopping zero. It's too small. It's as simple as that. He only had 7.7 touches per game as a rookie, too. So I think he should be going draft. He should be being drafted after Damian Harris straight up. Uh, I also have basically 0% James Cook right now. Yeah. Alvin Kamara going after him. Zach Charbonnet going after him. I like Elijah Moore in that area. There's Tua. The quarterbacks, yeah. There's David Njoku. A.J. Dillon. Hey, who do you think is going to score more touchdowns this year, A.J. Dillon or James Cook? Right. And we're playing half PPR over here on Underdog Fantasy promo code of the show. Um, there's other there's, there's spreadsheet there's there's enough spreadsheet based uh, shows for fantasy for people to tout James Cook. You also had one special team snap all last season last year, which yeah. was really uncommon if you look at across the league for second and third string running backs like that. Correct. It's almost as if he doesn't want to play special teams, and he's told the coaches that that I'm not going to. Remember JD McKissick? Theory. Remember JD McKissick? The, the Bills trying to get him. Hmm. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have, and you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog. Or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Brian Robinson up next. You could not get more polar opposite between these two players. <laughs> Running back 34, 107 overall, Hayden. Uh, this is going to take a little bit of projection, but I think that Brian Robinson could kind of play a little bit. He's kind of just somebody that could definitely carry a workload. I thought that his vision was pretty damn consistent. I thought he falls forward. I thought he played on contact to a decent ability. He just didn't have any explosiveness, and I think that was his problem at Alabama. 
How much of that was also because of the gunshot wound that he suffered before the season? I think that there was some, probably something to that as well. Uh, none of his like peripheral numbers, like the yards after contact, uh, the breakaway rate, they're not going to be very kind to Brian Robinson. But at the same time, decent success rate, decent PFF grade, and he handled over 18 touches per game. It's going to be a new offensive coordinator. There's some risk there. Uh, they've already been talking about Antonio Gibson, but it's plays like that where it's like, is that really making a massive difference? No, but Brian Robinson's fighting hard. He's definitely going to be falling forward. And I think that he's one of these guys kind of like Tyler Algier, who's going to pick up the yards that are blocked for you and then fall forward on top of that. And I think in fantasy circles, that's not very sexy, but I think if you were interviewing running back coaches across the league, that's a trait that they really value. And after watching all these players, I think that's a trait that's pretty undervalued just in general, like just a consistent fall forward, pick up the yards yeah. blocked for him. He's not a home run th- home run hitter, but I don't think that Washington necessarily draft him to be that either. No. I mean, look how many explosive receivers they have out there. You know, it's it's funny because you and I don't talk in our exchange notes about any of these players, but we've seen Brian Robinson exactly the same. In fact, my first words were he falls forward. <laughs> like that's often, a skill though to me yeah weirdly often often there is contacted line of scrimmage and there are like little hidden yards that he picks up that are going to keep him on the field like whether it be rather than being in like in a negative one yard gain he's picking up a gain of two like that is important it's the difference between second and 11 and second and eight you know um i did see some explosiveness once we hit the vikings game when the commanders were four and four and then he played really strong against the Philadelphia Eagles. Look, it just makes sense that he was going to get maybe more explosive the further away he got from being shot in the freaking leg. Yeah. And let's not forget that he was shot in the freaking leg. He had already won the starting running back gig for the team. Now, like you said, it's not Scott Turner. It's Eric Bieniemy now. But it's still Ron Rivera at the top of this yeah. thing. You know, and Ron loves him some running backs and running back usage. And if we have Jacoby Brissett, and Sam Howell, how much is this team going to truly lean into the passing game? Like, I think we could see 200 touches for one of these running backs and 130 for another of them, you know? I think that he can easily outpace even 200. I mean, he averaged 18 per game last year. Right, right. And that's his running back 34 right now. Again, just to put some context to this, that is two running back spots ahead of Devon A-Chain. Samaj P. Ryan and A.J. Dillon is in that same spot. I'm not going to compare him to AJ Dillon, but it's like in certain, like they can be touchdown scores. Like mm-hmm. they can be touchdown scores. Yeah. Um, yeah. 205 carries last year for Brian Robinson, 32 missed tackles force and roughly 30% of the team's carries inside the 10 and inside of the five yard line. You know this, I really like Brian Robinson. Yeah, I think it was my third running back coming out of Alabama behind Kenneth Walker and then Brees Hall. Yeah. I want to stat like tackles that really fucking hurt. And I think that he would be very high up on that stat. Okay, this is shocking. Next is Jalen Warren. I mean, there's a big cliff from Brian Robinson down to Jalen Warren here. Jalen Warren's being drafted as running back 46, about 43 spots later at 150 overall. I grew to appreciate Jalen Warren's skill set. Um, who are you i mean i swear three weeks ago we do so many shows i forgot which one you were like who wants to draft jalen warren then we did a draft last week you're like you know what i'm gonna take jalen warren you did a 180 well i i think that jalen warren is good as a number two running back i don't think that his skill set would necessarily scale but what i see with jalen warren is 
he is very fluid out in space, especially as a pass catcher. It's these plays out in the flat where he can catch it and make one guy. No, I don't think he's exceptional. He's quite frankly, he's just too small to handle a massive workload, but he can in a pinch. I think in a two week sample of Najee Harris rolled an ankle or something like that. I think that Jalen Warren has enough size to handle a bell cow workload in that environment. And I think that he's a perfect addition next to Najee Harris, who Najee Harris, I think probably put on too much weight because he thought he was going to be a 350 touch player. I would like to see Najee Harris drop some weight now that he has for sure somebody that's good enough to handle quality touches as a compliment. Jalen Warren fights pretty hard. I think that he plays heavier than what his size is listed. I think that he can uh, give a good handle to you. And I thought he was more fluid as a pass catcher, pass catcher than what I was expecting. And I'm not necessarily that surprised that they were playing him over Najee Harris on passing downs. I think that this should be Najee Harris. Go lose some weight. Go be more explosive. Go be a better early down rusher because now the Steelers have actually found somebody that can handle, I would say, 10 touches per game. You know, just going through and looking at all the depth charts at running backs, it can even be difficult at times to say, oh, we know who the number one is and we know who the number two is. At least for the Steelers, we we do know that. And Jalen Warren, sure. like you said, is good enough to now warrant backup running back duties. Now, we got to a point last year when we were doing stats versus film when people were calling like for Jalen Warren to play way more snaps than Najee Harris and send him to the bench. To me, that is just fandom looking at a style of player that it's easy to fall in love with the archetype, the prototype that Jalen Warren is and say, Oh, he's exciting. He's electric. He's shorter. He's an in space back who also some between the tackle works, but man, players like this rarely turn into long-term fantasy assets. Like, are we thinking he's Danny Woodhead in a weird passing offense and like not associated with Tom Brady? Um, I, I get it, but at running back 46, when if Najee Harris goes down, are we getting a, the same workload that Najee Harris is getting. I don't think so. They'll bring in someone, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think he can for sure handle 15 touches per game in that situation and goal line work. So I, I am drafting him at cost. You will not find me on the, the Jalen Warren stand Hill where they're saying that he should be replacing Najee Harris. So I think there's a difference here, but I do think that Najee Harris should look at Jalen Warren and be like, look, let's, let's lose some weight. Let's get a little more explosiveness. Um, and I think then the Steelers have a, a backfield that they can be uh, relying on for the next half decade. And they've had tried to improve that offensive line too. I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what the Pittsburgh Steelers are next season. Still, yeah. still. Next up, Tyler Algier, running back, 48, 154 overall. An awesome end to last season. Over 1,000 yards. The only again rookie who did that, other than Ken Walker. Uh, where does he rank for you? Where Where do you envision Tyler Algier? Who? again, despite putting up four figures in rushing yards, has now been replaced by a top 10 overall pick in Bijan. So I had it Brees, Walker, and Damian Pierce in the first tier. And then I have Algier by himself over all the other names that we've gotten to. Um, He doesn't have the explosiveness that the first tier does, but I feel really solid about his consistency and his ability to pick up yards and to fight Uh, for extra yards and watching his tape, you just grow a little bit more appreciative of Arthur Smith. I know that he's super frustrating when it comes to Kyle Pitts and all that stuff, but there is so much to digest in this run game. It's so hard to uh, get control over. And I think that Tyler Algier is a very smooth rusher for somebody of his size. He actually had the most yards over expected per carry and the second most yards after contact in this draft class. So you basically can watch this entire season and not see a single juke move from him. He's just, 
all consistency, but I I almost really like kind of grew to just appreciate, hey, you know what? Like this is what you're getting from him. He is going to be one of these guys that's just going to pick up the yards for him. And yes. I do think that he can handle a big workload if something happened to B. John Robinson. I do think B. John Robinson's like everything that Tyler Algier literally is impossible. He can't do. That's what Bijan is, but I do think that Algier serves a purpose, and I would not be surprised if he averaged eight to ten uh, carries per game just because I think he kind of earned it. I mean, he's the definition of the pick up the yards that are blocked for you back. Um, I always say it: good running backs pick up the yards that are blocked for them. Great ones create on their own. Again, to your he's point, I, I don't know if Tyler Algier will like we've talked about with so many of the others. Well, not so many of them. A couple of the others, and, and Pierce and Walker and Brees Hall, who can create on their own, right? Yeah. Um, now, Algier is being drafted around or now should be thought of around all of the running back handcuffs, the running back insurance types. I might rank him at like the top of that list now, you know, for being behind an offensive line that is really good in run block and design and scheme that Arthur Smith puts out there for his run blocking. And the more I've kind of dug into this, and I know it's rhetoric, but Arthur Smith, how he utilized Cordero Patterson between wide receiver and running back stuff, how he's utilizing this offensive weapon terminology that we all hate every single offseason. At least with Arthur Smith, we've seen it happen with Cordero Patterson. Tyler Drew's not going to do any of that. He's just like the mainstay, the consistent at running back. So look, Bichon's not going to get an 80% workload that we've seen some bell cows have in the past or even a 70% workload, I don't think. So Algiers going to have some standalone value, but then if dreadfully something does happen to Bijan, we could look be looking at another 1,000-yard rusher easily in Tyler Algier. I've drafted 40% of them. Yep. he's 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 been my guy. And I also, when you were making that kind of CPAT comment, I had a nightmare in, uh, pop up in my head where Bijan gets kind of lost in this, in this like Cordero Patterson gadgety too much role and then tyler algiers just getting all these carries up the middle and we just grow to really hate arthur smith and then he <laughs> won't answer a single question in the press conferences as he totally does but i'm with you fall forward all that stuff i would go i would have tyler algiers my running back if i was an nfl coach he's not gonna do anything crazy but he's he's mr reliable to me do you know the running backs being drafted around him i mean the wide receivers are gross it's like kj osborne donovan peoples jones MVS and I'm happily taking like Jaden Reed and Van Jefferson if I need a wide receiver in that area. But do you know the running backs? Uh, it's like by Jalen Warren. I know that it's the only two I can. Uh, yeah, it's Raheem Mostert, and then he's going yeah. right ahead of Tank Bigsby, who's a rookie who did not rush for you know a thousand yards last year. You know how much of a difference do you see between Elijah Mitchell, who I also love at ADP, and Tyler Algier? Good question. And Elijah Mitchell's going much thirty first. spots ahead. Yeah, 125 compared to 154. So yeah, 20 spots ahead or 30 spots ahead. Yeah, like you said, I'm with you. Algier, I think people, and I understand the idea. Well, the Falcons already have this guy, this guy, and this guy. How would, why would we ever draft the handcuff running back for them? I mean, it's pretty simple. We We saw it last year. year. (laughs) It worked last year. Like we don't have to speculate. We do too many podcasts together. Gosh. (laughs) My my highest drafted running back is Algier. I select and this is my highest drafted running back, oh boy. Jerome Ford, running back 57, 184 overall. Some of you might be saying, who the hell is Jerome Ford? Well, he was a fifth rounder last year for the Cleveland Browns, buried on the depth chart behind Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson. But this year, the pathway has cleared behind Nick Chubb. And now we get Jerome Ford, Hayden, who 
is filling in for Kareem Hunt, who had 167 opportunities last year, and we're getting that workload at 184 overall right now over an underdog. Yeah, Nick Chubb wasn't out there for uh, the mini camp, and Ford was the RB1 in that situation. I think there's a chance that Kareem Hunt's not going to uh, sign a contract this upcoming season. I think that Jerome Ford... And this was like an extremely small sample. So I didn't want to put too much uh, faith into this. But I see Ford as somebody that at least has the requisite size and athleticism for NFL touches. Now, what does that exactly mean? I still think the Browns are probably trying to figure that out. But I'm with you. I feel pretty pretty decent right now that it's going to be Ford, not Kareem Hunt on the re-signing or anything like that as Nick Chubb's backup. And I think this offense is going to be very good. And Ford as a... Uh, college prospect came from Cincinnati. They're running a very pro style offense. One that's actually pretty similar to what the Browns are running there. And he was a physical guy able to handle a big workload. And he was actually an Alabama recruit too. So I think that he probably has uh, some skills. And I think that he has a lot of pro ready type of skills that other guys that kind of pop out of nowhere don't have. Yeah. I mean, he started his first two years in college at Alabama. Didn't start, but you know, that's where he began his career. And then the last two years at Cincinnati, they were pretty damn good. You know, um, thing with Jerome Ford is there are 12 running back handcuffs being drafted ahead of him right now. 12. We're talking about the Cleveland Browns who are probably going to throw more, but still we were drafting Kareem Hunt. Well, not you and I, but way ahead of this spot last year, we've seen this offense sustain, albeit with a Baker Mayfield quarterback, um, two running backs that have standalone value. And I just feel like people don't know who Jerome Ford is. And I'm look, maybe I'm way out of line here. But I feel like if this team was going to be nervous about him operating as this backup running back gig, they would have either drafted someone or brought someone in. Maybe they could sit mm-hmm. with one of these veterans. To me, they're comfortable with him as their second running back, and just not enough people have caught on right now. I have 68% Jerome Ford right now. <laughs> what could go wrong? No, I'm with you. I, I think his ADP is probably going to settle like at 150th overall once we get uh, training camp confirmation that he is, in fact, the RB2. And I don't see why his ADP shouldn't just go one spot ahead earlier every single day that Zeke Elliott isn't in the building. Yeah. Shout out to producer Weeze for cutting all those preseason game clips for us. So we actually got to see some Chrome Ford out there. I mean, he does have acceleration. He has bursts. He's used this one cut rushing system. I'm in. I'm in. That's way all you deep. need. That's all you need. I'm in way too deep. All right. We have five other names, but they basically all go undrafted. Um, the likes of Jordan Mason, Kyron Williams, Pierre Strong, Zamir White, Ty Chandler. They're either second, third, arguably fourth on some of their depth charts. Which one do you want to hit on? Uh, the two that I thought actually kind of popped to me were Jordan Mason and Zonovan Knight. I think they're both somewhat similar. Uh, Jordan Mason reminds me of Jamal Williams, which obviously a profile that I love a really thick guy. He actually uh, led this class in PFF rushing grade success rate yards after contact and yards per carry. Now, obviously that was a very small sample size, but Jordan Mason wants to run right through your face and I can learn to appreciate it. Now, will that matter at all for fantasy purposes? Probably not. There's Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell ahead of him. Uh, and then same thing was on in the night. He's going to be battling Michael Carter uh, as Brees Hall's direct backup, but he uh, was first in force missed tackles per carry and force missed tackles per reception. And I went back and watched one of our stats versus film, with the, which is our best show yep. that there ever was uh, in the middle of the season. And we watched that Zonovan Knight game, and we both were like, whoa, this is pretty damn explosive. He's got some juice to him. 
Yeah, and Michael Carter didn't last year. I don't know what happened. It, might, it was not the same player that I was used to, but I think that Donovan Knight has a chance to kind of be the number two. Um, I like Jordan Mason's tape. Not that that will ever matter for us. I want to bring up Kyron Williams because he was going to, I think, get a pretty significant workload last year. He's being drafted as running back 79. Uh, again, 215 overall. So that means sometimes he's drafted and sometimes not. He has zero juice to his game, like mm -hmm. literally zero juice to his game. But I would not be shocked if he locks down the pass catching role on this team because he is one of the few. And I know you all hear this during draft season that you can count on in pass protection early on in his career. It was his calling card at Alabama. And I understand that like Cam Akers towards the end of last year dominated the workload and scored a bunch of points. But guess what? It's the same exact thing that he did in terms of garnering all the workload during their Super Bowl season. And immediately once we got to training camp, Sean McVay via a Jordan Rodriguez column says, hey, I want to spread the rock, spread the ball around. And I think Sean McVay is going to go back to that and like think of that's how he wants to have this running back room. And maybe it doesn't work because, again, it's Cam Akers, who they've hated for portions. Kyron Williams, who got hurt in the opening kickoff last year. And then a six-round rookie in Zach Evans. And that's it. But, man, in five fewer games than Cam Akers last year, Daryl Henderson led them with 244 passing down snaps. That was 35 more than Cam Akers. And Daryl Henderson's not in this roster anymore. And I think Kyron Williams fits into that role for them. I wrote, if Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford want to avoid negative plays, then Kyron Williams could be a snap-eating change of pace running back. But anything beyond that would be unexpected. So I, I, I more or less see it with you. Um, yeah, I was just, I was expecting you to be zero like, juice. I, I was expecting you to say that because that's, that's true. He's also smaller than I thought, but then I also thought you were going to say, okay, enough already. I'm actually going to believe into some Zach Evans or, or, uh, cam makers at ADP, but you still, you double down on it. That this is your, this is your favorite player in the league. Just no, it's it. not. No, I'm not. I'm not taking any kind of In fact, of, if, if I can give this advice of all of the undrafted running backs right now that are out there, I know like Herzig's taking some Ty Chandler, you know, thinking like maybe Davin Cook's moving on. It kind of seems like there might be a case for Davin Cook to stay at this point. Um, some are taking Pierre Strong in this area. He's not a second-year player. He's actually his fifth year, but I'm taking Travion Williams. I agree. As, yeah. as the undrafted running back handcuff out there at this moment. I did want to quickly say something on Pierre Strong because yes. – He's such a different runner than Ramondre Stevenson that no doubt in my mind, someone else is going to get touches in this backfield other than Ramondre Stevenson. But if Ramondre goes down, I highly doubt, you know, Bill O'Brien and Bill Belichick will have their rushing game land on the shoulders of Pierre Strong. So like maybe some touches go his way. Maybe some touches go Kevin Harris's way and maybe some touches go Ty Montgomery's way. And I wouldn't throw it past them for like Leonard Fournette, who they showed interest in, I think, last summer yeah. for him to join this team, too. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That makes so much sense. Yeah, to me, Pierre Strong was a glider. It seems like his cleats like don't even touch the grass. Like he's just like he's a dancer. Uh, what are they? Were they the Jackrabbits in college? Because that's yes. what he kind of looks like to me running out there. He's a change of pace guy. I think that he's going to be the number two with a healthy Ramondre Stevenson. I'm with you. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to tote the rock into like meaningful production over there. Because when we talk about running back handcuffs, it's only natural ahead of the season to think, oh, he's the second running back in the depth chart. That means he's just going to assume this massive workload. And that's why these guys are valuable um, because it doesn't really work that way with wide receivers, right? Because the talent gap is so different. 
But what we see is if a team has a different viewpoint on that quote unquote second running back in their roster, and they just bring in a bigger body off mm-hmm. the free agent line. And then he's the one that goes out there and gets the 14, 15, 16 touches, yep. you know, typecasting. Yeah. Like players just because they're the number two one week, does that mean they're going to be the number one? Some players are number two and that's what they will always be. Someone like Amir Abdullah, for example, right. um, Somebody that was kind of falls into that category to me was uh, Malik Davis. He only had a couple snaps with the Cowboys. Uh, to me, he has some straight line burst. He kind of reminds me of Tony Pollard, except that Tony Pollard doesn't get tangled at the line of scrimmage and he has more power and he can force more missed tackles. Malik Davis basically was just a one trick pony, just had some burst on, on some snaps, but I didn't see too much with him at all. So I was hoping to see like Malik Davis and like, hopefully he was going to be somebody that I actually liked on tape, but it turns out was not necessarily the case. That's it. We've done it. That was like it. 14 running backs. Do you have a single take on Samir White? We, I didn't watch too much of him because there wasn't that much to watch. Well, I do feel like that just from a typecast standpoint, he does have size that right. if Josh Jacobs does go down. And in fact, this team was skeptical of Josh Jacobs heading into last year. I thought Zamir White would have an opportunity to have a much bigger workload. That didn't happen. We know Josh Jacobs led the NFL and lit it up. Um, lit Everything. <laughs> The other part of that, though, is Amir Abdullah is on the roster and he has a role, pass catching. And then Brandon Bolden, who even dating back to the days of the Patriots when starting running backs would get hurt, would then play like a three down role at times, is going to be active on game days all the time because of his special teams ability. So while I think Samir White has talent, I think he's still going undrafted for a reason because I have no idea what happens if something does go down with Josh Jacobs. My counter would be that typecast thing where he's the number four when everything's yeah. going well because special teams, pass blocking, and then you have Josh Jacobs. But if Josh Jacobs gets removed, is Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah going to go into the one role? Or is Amir White going to come out of nowhere and actually slide into that early down role? Yeah. That's why I'm a little bit optimistic with Amir White. I think that you should sprinkle him in. And back at Georgia, I thought that he had a little bit of pop to him. He was like recovering from injuries and he didn't do anything last year. But Josh Jacobs also handled, what, 300 touches and basically didn't miss any time. So. And they want to extend Josh Jacobs and all that type of stuff. All right, that's going to do it. Again, we did a version of this for wide receivers. Love doing these types of shows because so many people focus on rookies. And with second-year players, we actually kind of know who they are since they touch the field. And the picture is a bit clearer. Um, So go and check out that show. Uh, I am gone for like the next three weeks, basically. I'm getting married this weekend. Hayden's going to lock it down with content for a bit while I'm gone. Um, but things might be slightly more sporadic. I don't know. I'm just trusting you with uh, being able to create stuff because I know you're good at this, you know, and don't feel the need to do as many things as we have done in the past. What can go wrong? <laughs> what can go wrong? All right. Thank you all for supporting the channel. Tell one friend about it. Again, we are now still in May, just hitting June. Best Ball Mania 4 is about 15% filled at this time. Uh These are typically the deep, dark, silent times of fantasy football and just fantasy and football in general. Um, You are making it not the case. We appreciate that. And just imagine what not just this channel, but Underdog and this community is going to be all about once we hit July and especially August and September. 4,000 people entered Best One Mania 4 yesterday. One day alone. 4,000. It's not too early anymore. Go, Go draft. Go draft. All right. Up the villa who Hayden are going on a European tour, European tour. We're going on a European tour. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya.